All right, how we doing, Elevate? We doing good? Yeah. Good to see y'all. Good to see y'all. Hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, uh, one of the pastors here, and I am so glad you're joining us. Turn to the person sitting next to you and just tell them it's beginning to look like fall. Right? Yeah. How many people use their heat coming to church this morning? Anybody? Not me. I know some folks did, probably. My wife was bundled up at the house. I was like, it ain't even that cold. But anyway, it is beginning to feel like fall. Uh, but don't worry, it'll be 80 degrees towards later, late, end of the week, and so you'll be using your AC again. Hey, but we are, we're starting a brand new series today called uh, Mosquitoes, Mosquitoes. And, and I just can't help but think that each and every one of us have, have had a run-in with a, a mosquito or two or 3,000. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you've heard a mosquito. You, you, you've seen a, a, a mosquito. No doubt you've been bitten by a mosquito. Anybody been bitten by a mosquito? Okay, unless you're living under a rock. Even if you're under there, you're going to get bit probably. Uh, but uh, just, just a little information that might help you if you ever find yourself on who wants to be a, a millionaire. Uh, how many of y'all know that only the female mosquito actually bites another person. How many people knew that? Did you know that? Yeah, if you're ever on there, uh, you need to know that. So men, let that be a lesson to you. Females are vicious, right? Uh, female mosquitoes is what I'm talking about, of course. Uh, but anyway, mosquitoes are insects, and they really know how to, to bother us. Mosquitoes are insects that really know how to uh, really irritate us. And I wonder uh, if anybody in the room knows somebody or maybe some people who are just like that. You know what I mean? If they're sitting next to you, don't point, just kind of tilt your head. I'll know who you're talking about, right? Uh, they're all around us. They really are. Uh, we have people in our lives who, who know how to ir irritate us. There are people in our lives who know how to, to bother us, people in our lives who know how to suck the life out of us. And if we were really to be honest, we've all got some people in our life that if we could, we'd just... In, my, in Jesus' name, right? Uh, in Jesus' name, right? Yeah. yeah, so we all got some people in our lives who are just like mosquitoes. They're difficult and they bother us. But then the Bible has verses like this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15, or verse 8, I'm sorry. The Bible says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sin. So that verse right there tells us to love who? It says to love each other other, even the person who's like a mosquito in your life, you're supposed to love them. You say, I don't know about that, but look at what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, a couple things from that verse that I want you to see. First off is Jesus says, my. What does that mean when he says my? Well, what this means is this is not something coming from your mom. It's not something coming from your dad. It's not something coming from your friend. This is something coming straight from Jesus. This is basically coming straight from God. And he says, my command. What does that mean? What that means is this is not a suggestion, right? This is not something that you ought to just think about doing or you ought to consider doing. This is a command from God, meaning this is something that you ought to do. You better do. He says, my command is that you love each other, but not just love each other. It's really specific about how we should love each other, that we love each other as I have loved you, Jesus says that. So he says, hey, as I've loved you, who's he, who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his friends. He's talking to his boys. And so maybe you're like, well, I don't, it's, it's easy for me to love my friends. It's easy for me to, to love, the, love, love the people who are close to me in my life. It's the mosquitoes in my life, again, that I can't love. It's the people who irritate me and bother me. Okay, 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 okay. Oh, well, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. Look at what he says. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your enemy, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, 
Love your enemies. Love who? Love your enemies. Maybe, maybe Jesus was mistaken here. Maybe he had been out in the sun too long and maybe had just something going on and needed some electrolytes to get his mind back straight. Maybe he's about to really clarify what he means here. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because verse 45 says that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You see that? Did, did Jesus just say that if you and I don't love our enemies, we won't be children of our Father in heaven? That's exactly what he said. And see, folks, as annoying as some people are in our life, as blood-sucking as some of the people are in our life, we still got to love them. And so that's what this series is all about. We're going to be talking about how to love the people who suck the life out of you. And we're going to talk about three different types of people over the next three weeks. But this week, we're going to start off with talking about uh, somebody I'm sure that you've had to deal with uh, in your life. And we're going to talk about somebody who's been incredibly controlling. Uh, how many of y'all know some control freaks? Y'all know some control freaks? Um, if you're sitting next to somebody and they, you went to raise your hand and they went to put your hand down, uh, that's exactly who this message is uh, about, control freaks. Uh, well, so here's the deal is I think at some point in our lives, all of us have some interactions with people who try to control us. And usually, people who are going to try to control you, they've got two tricks. They've got two real effective weapons when it comes to controlling us. They'll use threats and they'll use guilt. What do I mean that they'll use threats? Well, what I mean is they may actually say or they might not say it, they might just imply it, that if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, if you don't do what I think you should do, there's going to be consequences. If, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, you're going you're gonna to pay. It could, be, it could be a boyfriend who looks at a girlfriend and says, hey, if you don't do what I'm asking you to do sexually, we're going we're gonna to break up. They may not say it, but again, they, they imply it somehow. Uh, again, it could be somebody else. It could be something like, like a boss who's trying to get you to do something wrong, something unethical, something that goes against God's word. And you, you, you think, man, I can't do that. But they make you feel like if you don't, they're going to fire you or they're going to demote you. It, it, could be a, it could be a spouse who always threatens to leave or walk out if you don't do what they're asking you to do. It could be a number of different people, but again, there are people in our lives who use threats as a way to manipulate us and to control us. So there are some people, though, who don't use threats because they know that's a little too obvious, right? And so instead of using threats, what they use is guilt. They use guilt to try to control us. They may say things like this, after all I've done for you, you're not going to do this one thing for me? I mean, don't you remember what I did for you last week? I thought we were friends. I, I thought we were friends. We must not be friends because you won't do this one thing for me. It could be a relative who says, you never call me. You never check on me. I could be dead in my house being eaten by my cats and nobody would ever know. You know what I mean? They, they try to use guilt. Sadie Kate, my eight-year-old, I remember a couple years ago, man, she tried to use some guilt on me. She wanted a real-life unicorn for her birthday. Not like a stuffed animal. She wanted a real-life unicorn. And so I told her, I said, baby, that ain't going to happen. And she looks at me and she says, you don't love me. And then she started just crying and crying and crying. She's trying to guilt me into creating something that doesn't even exist. Right? Again, sometimes people use guilt is a way to get us to do what they want us to do. Come on now, how many of y'all ever seen somebody do those two things to you? Use threats and guilt trying to get you to, get you to do what they want you to do. 
And some people know exactly what they're doing when they do those things because they have evil intentions. They got great plans for your life. But other times there are people in our lives who try to control us and manipulate us, and they're not malicious people. They're not. They're just needy. They're just insecure. They're just misguided, but still they're trying to do whatever they can to get us to do what they think we ought to be doing with our life. And so how do we as followers of Christ respond to people who intentionally or unintentionally try to control us and manipulate us. Well, let me show you an interesting story in Matthew chapter 16. This is a story that involves Jesus and one of those who is closest to him. Uh, This story involves Jesus and Peter. And so Jesus is clearly laying out what God wants him to do with his life. He's clearly laying out that God has called him to come, to give his life as a ransom, to die. And so he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer. And Peter steps and says, "Uh uh-uh. That ain't about to happen. It's not going to happen. God's not going to do that. Nope, you're not going to do it. Look at what happens. Again, Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must. Everybody say must. He must. This is something he must do, that he must go to Jerusalem, and he must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Watch this, verse 22. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Let me stop. What did, what did Peter do for Jesus right there? He took him aside, right? Something you might notice in your life is if you've got somebody who's trying to control you and somebody who's trying to manipulate you, oftentimes they'll try to isolate you. They will take you to the side to try to get you to do what it is that they're asking you to do because they know that if they can get you alone, it's going to be easier to influence you. That is what Peter is doing here. It says he took Jesus aside and says, never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. You see that? Peter said, oh, no, Uh uh-uh, Jesus, that ain't happening. Not today, not tomorrow, not any day. That is not happening to you. You see that word never? Never. That will never happen. And Peter is trying to manipulate Jesus away from God's will. But look at how Jesus responds. This This is interesting, verse 23. The Bible says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, exclamation point. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So how do we love people who are trying to control us? How do we love people who are trying to manipulate us? Well, let me give you three things from our text here that I think are important. If you keep a notes, you want to write them down. The first thing that I want you to see that we need to do is we need to know what we are called to do. We need to know what we are called to do. See, folks, Jesus was very clear on what his calling was. He communicated it over and over and over again. He would say things like, hey, I've come to seek and save the lost. He'd say things like, you know what? I didn't come for those who were healthy. I came for those who were sick. He'd say things like, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. He'd say things like, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You need to know that Jesus was incredibly clear on what it was that he was called to do. He was incredibly clear about what his purpose 
was, and that's exactly what he was describing to Peter and to the other disciples. He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I must suffer. I must die. This is God's purpose for my life, but it's okay because after three days, I'm going to be raised back up again. Well, if you and I are really going to love those who try to control us and manipulate us, if we're really going to respond to them properly, I'm telling you, you need to clearly define your calling. You need to know what it is that God has called you to do. So what is it that God has called you to do? Now, when we talk about God's calling on our life, a lot of people get frustrated. A lot of people get upset because they think when it comes to calling that God is talking about a specific occupation. Like God might call you to be a pastor. God might call you to be a doctor. God might call you to be a teacher. God might call you to be a missionary. God might call you to be whatever. Are there times when God actually calls people to specific occupations? The answer is yes. And so we want to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. We want to be attentive to God in case he's trying to tell us something along those lines. But more often than not, God doesn't call us to a specific work. He calls us to be a witness. More often than being called to a specific job, God calls us to be a witness in the job we already possess. He calls us to be a witness in the environment in which we find ourselves. So don't get hung up on a specific occupation. Uh, don't be hung up, I, I just got to know where God wants me to work. I got to know what God wants me to do. What's my occupation supposed to be? Don't get too hung up on that. Get concerned with the way of life that God has called you to. Get concerned with how he wants you to live your life. You say, well, pastor, how does he want me to live my life? The Bible is very specific when it comes to that. I want you to see this. Many verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says this. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Turn to the person sitting next to you and tell them to be holy. Now turn to the other person you really wanted to say, but you were afraid they might jack you in a jaw if you told them that. They need to be holy too, right? We're supposed to be holy. What? Right? We're supposed to be holy. We're supposed to be holy. That's God's will for your life or my life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will? It's that we rejoice always, that we pray continually, and that we give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for you and for me. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. Check this out. The Bible says, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma. You and I are supposed to be imitators of who? Of God. Of God. The problem is it's hard to imitate God and please people. It is. It's hard to please people and please God. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Look at what he said. He said, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. He says, if I was trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you see what Paul says there? Paul basically says, hey, you know what? If I was going to be trying to please people, I wouldn't be a Christian. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, man, that hurts. It hurts me. Why does it hurt me? 
because I'm a people pleaser. In fact, how many of y'all would just kind of think, admit, you know, admit this morning that you are a people pleaser. You try to please people. How many of y'all maybe just raising your hand to make me feel better? You know what I'm saying? You're a people pleaser, right? That's what you're doing. Again, in my life, I know that I struggle with this trying to please people. I did the math just uh, last week. Actually, I've been in ministry for nearly 20 years, for nearly 20 years. And over the years, I've had some people uh, come to me trying to tell me uh, their idea for my life. They'll tell me things like, this is what you need to do. This is what you should do. This is what you ought to do. People who aren't even pastors come and tell me uh, how to pastor. I love it. Uh, It's kind of like a parent uh, it's kind of like somebody who's not a parent trying to tell a parent how to raise their kid, right? I remember before I had kids, I was an excellent parent. I would see people at Walmart, man, them kids, if that was my kid, I'd be, I, anybody do, and then you have kids and you're like, you pray for me. That's what you're saying when you go through Walmart, right? That's what happens, right? People don't know unless you've been there again. Uh, but, but a lot of times people come to me and say, this is what you need to do. Does anybody do that in your life? This is trying to, to control you. And in my mind, what I used to think was if I don't do what they're asking me to do, they're not going to like me anymore. If I don't do what they're asking me to do, they're going to be mad at me. Does anybody else ever have conversations like that in your mind? Maybe two of us. Some of us are being honest. This is a true story. When somebody calls my house in the middle of the night, I used to, I don't even hear the phone anymore. Uh, but I used to, you can ask Amanda, she would pick on me about this, but when the phone would ring, I would sit up in the bed real fast, I'd clear my throat, you know what I'm saying, because I didn't want whoever was calling to feel bad for waking me up, you know what I'm saying, and Amanda would be like, Robert, people know that you have to sleep, you know what I'm saying, but I would clear my throat, and and they would say, they would say, Robert, I'd say, oh yeah, don't worry, you didn't wake me up, I was rearranging my living room, I don't know, I was doing what normal people do at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so, and so I remember one night my phone rang 2 o'clock in the morning. I sat up. I, I, I cleared my throat. You know what I'm saying? And on the other end, uh, I said, said hello. And, and what it was on the other end was one of the members of the church that I was pastoring. And they said, Pastor. I said, yeah. I'm thinking, man, it's the middle of the night. It's an emergency, right? Somebody's dead. Somebody's in the hospital. He says, Pastor. I said, yeah. He said, Pastor. He said, I got this flower at my house. And this flower only blooms once a year. And it only blooms in the middle of the night. And I was just thinking you and your wife need to come and look at this flower. (laughs) Two o'clock in the morning. You're going to call my house and tell me come look at a flower. You know what I did? I woke Amanda up. I said, baby, we got to go. This is an emergency, man. There's a flower. I'm a people pleaser. True story, but I've changed, brother. I really have. Ever since that night, I changed. I don't know if it's because Amanda beat me up, but now, man, if you call my house in the middle of the night talking about me coming looking at a flower, I'm going to roll your yard. That's what's going to happen. I promise. It ain't happening. But what I had to learn and what I hope you'll learn is that trying to please people is a form of idolatry. It is. Think about it. What you're doing when we do it is we wrongly put people's opinions of us ahead of God's calling for us. When I give more merit to what another person thinks than what God thinks and what God says, that's idolatry. That's why we have to be clear on what our calling is. What does calling do? Calling clarifies. 
Calling clarifies, and it will give you clarity when someone comes along trying to distract you from what it is that you know God wants you to do. So we've got to be clear on our calling. The next thing that I want you to see, if you keep a notion, you want to write it down, is this. We've got to know when someone's trying to control us. We've got to know when somebody is trying to control us. That's what happens in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says, this is what God wants me to do. I'm going to lay down my life. And it's going to be okay because God is going to raise me up. And what does Peter do? Peter steps up on Jesus. Man, he's for real. Let let me correct you, Jesus. He said, that ain't happening. Now, I want you to think about this. Was Peter the most evil guy that had ever lived? No, he wasn't. Did Peter hate Jesus? No, he didn't. Was it Peter's intentional plan? To draw, to, draw, to draw Jesus away from God's plan for his life? No, not at all. Peter was a good guy who loved Jesus. In fact, moments, in fact, moments before this interaction right here with Jesus, uh, Peter had just won the Jesus who wants to be a millionaire. Uh, Jesus was asking people, hey, who do you, who, they were, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they were given all these, all these answers, all these answers. And so Peter, uh, so Jesus looks at Peter and says, well, hey, who do you say that I am? And Peter hits the buzzer real, real quick and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Final answer. And Jesus is like, wow, wow, Pete, you're right. And you know what, Peter? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Peter wasn't an evil guy, just like most of the people in your life and in my life who are trying to manipulate us and control us. But in this moment, Peter was putting his own plan for Jesus ahead of God's plan for Jesus. And that's why you have to recognize what God has called you to do. And that's why you have to recognize when someone is trying to control you. So why, though, did Peter try to control Jesus? Why? It wasn't, it wasn't because, again, he was evil. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't because of any of that. The reason why he tried to control Jesus right here was because Peter just didn't understand God's plan. He didn't. He just didn't understand it. It wasn't because he was evil or he hated Jesus. He simply didn't understand God's plan. And there are going to be people in your life, there are going to be people in my life, and when you know what God's will is for your life, when you know what it is that God has called you to do, they're just not going to understand God's plan for your life. When I decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to answer the call to ministry, I'm going to become a pastor, I had a lot of people come to me and say, you don't want to do that. And they were right. I didn't want to do it because all the pastors that I knew looked weird, talked weird, sounded weird, and now I'm in the club. I'm one of those guys. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't, but God wanted me to. When we started Elevate Church, there were people who said, you know what? You shouldn't do that. It's not going to work. But God said, do it. And guess what? Without any outside funding from any other church or any other organization or any other denomination, here we are six years later, later killing it. I'm telling you, you have to recognize when someone else is trying to control you. You've got to recognize when someone else is trying to pull you away from what you know God wants you to do. You have to know your calling and say, this is my lane, this is my purpose, this is what God wants. And you acknowledge again when someone's trying to control you. The third thing that I want you to see, if you keep your notes, you want to write it down, and this is where it gets tough, this is where it gets difficult. 
But the third thing is you've got to know when to draw a line in the sand. You've got to know when to draw a line in the sand because that's exactly what Jesus does to Peter right here. Jesus says, this is what I'm called to do. And Peter's like, oh, no. No, it's not. No. Jesus, don't do what God wants you to do. Do what I want you to do. And Jesus turns to Peter, and look at verse 23. This is fun. The Bible says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Man, the next time your mom or somebody's trying to manipulate you and control you, you look at her and you say, get behind me. Say, Don't do that. I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> Y'all, psh, my mama would have slapped me for real. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stay with me for just a minute. Stay with me. Jesus knows this is God's will. And Peter unintentionally says, oh, no, no. Well, can you imagine if Jesus would have been a people pleaser? Can you imagine if Jesus would have wrongly allowed his identity to be wrapped up in what Peter thought about him? I mean, Jesus comes to Peter and is like, hey, this is what God wants me to do. I've got to suffer. I've, I've got to die. Can you imagine if when Jesus said that, Peter would have said, uh-uh, Jesus, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. If you do that, Jesus, I'm going to be mad at you. If you do that, Jesus, I'm going to give you the silent treatment. If you do that, Jesus, I'm going to unfollow you on Facebook and on Instagram. If you do that, Jesus, I'm not going to be your disciple anymore. Could you imagine if Peter would have said that? And Jesus would have responded, oh. Oh, I'm so sorry, Peter. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to make you mad. I mean, I was going to die for mankind, but if that's not what you want, okay. You, you tell me what to do, Peter. You tell me what will make you happy. You tell me what your plan is for my life. Again, what if Jesus' identity was wrongly wrapped up in what Peter thought of him? God's plan to bring salvation to our world wouldn't have panned out. Would have been disastrous. Well, folks, guess what? When you and I wrongly allow our identity to be wrapped up in what people think about us, it's not good either. Either. When you and I wrongly allow our identity to be wrapped up in what people think about us, there are serious consequences. Stay with me. This is important. If Jesus would have surrendered control to someone else, do you know what that would have meant? It would mean that Jesus was no longer being led by God the Father. If Jesus would have let Peter control him, that would mean that God the Father was no longer controlling him. And that's why it's incredibly dangerous when we allow other people to control us. Because the moment we start letting someone else control us. That's the moment that we stop allowing God the Father 
to control us. The moment that we let other people control us, that is the moment that we stop being directed by God. Folks, you and I are supposed to be guided by God. We're supposed to walk according to the Spirit. That's why you and I need to be in God's Word daily so that we can know God's will for our life and understand His will for our life and know what our purpose is. But what if, just like this situation with Jesus and Peter, what if there is someone in your life who loves you? They love you and they care about you. But in their dysfunction, they're distracting you from serving a higher calling and a higher purpose. When you let that happen, there are eternal consequences. Not just for you, but for the people around you. I'm telling you, when you idolize what someone else thinks, you have lessened what God thinks in your mind, and you have walked away from what God wants. Jesus looks at Peter in this moment and says, Hey, I know what God wants me to do. And Pete, in this moment, you don't have in mind the things of God. Folks, there are times where you will have to draw a line in the sand because you have clearly identified what you were called to do because you have clearly identified that this is a person who is trying to control you and you will have to draw a line in the sand. It might mean that you end a relationship because they're trying to get you to do something that you know is against God's holy word and you say, that's not God's will for my life. That's not God's plan for my life. I'm not going to do that. It might be that, you know what, you've got you to gotta even change jobs because what they're asking you to do, again, goes against what you know God wants you to do. There will be times where you have to draw a line in the sand when it comes to people who are trying to control you. But here's the kicker, and I'm wrapping up, almost done. But the reality is, in my life and in your life, it's easy for us to identify the control freaks. It is. But what we fail to realize is a lot of times the biggest control freak, at least for me, the biggest control freak for me is oftentimes looking right back in the mirror at me every morning when I get ready. And I don't mean Amanda's in the background going, talking about me talking about me does anybody else know what I'm talking about you like to be in control see the truth is I just want to be in control Amanda will be driving and I'm in the passenger seat hitting the brake sometimes I even reach over and grab the steering wheel anybody else got to be in control my kids will be trying to do something. I'm like, here, let me do that. Let me, I want to be in control. And I know I'm not alone because I talk to a lot of y'all. <laughs> and y'all are the same way. You are. Do you, do you know why we just want everybody doing what we want everybody to do? I mean, I just want everybody doing what I want them to do. Anybody, is that how you are? You know why we're like that? Because deep within us is this 
sinful nature that wants to say that we're God. Deep inside each and every one of us is this desire to be in control and to call all the shots. But the thing is, that's what Lucifer did in heaven. That's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven in the first place. He wanted to be like God. The problem is, I don't make a good God, and neither do you. We don't. We don't make good gods. Think about this. No matter how much guilt you use to try to convince somebody to do something, no matter how many times you threaten them, do you have the power to change your spouse? No. But does God? Absolutely. Think about it. No matter how much guilt you use and how much, how much threats you use, do you have the power to set someone free from addiction? No, you don't. But does God? Absolutely he does. Do, do you have the power, no matter how many threats you use, how much guilt you use, do you have the power to change your children? No. But does God Almighty Yes, God has all power and all authority. He spoke this world into existence, and he's the only one who has the power to change people. And in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, right after Jesus says all this to Peter, look at what the Bible says. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In other words, Jesus says, you can't be your own God anymore. Jesus is saying, just how I'm going to have to give my life, and it's okay because God is going to raise me up, you're going to have to give your life. And I'm going to have to give my life. Jesus is essentially saying that if you're going to follow me, you'll never be in control again. You won't. From the moment you decide to follow Jesus, it's no longer about your will. It's no longer about my will. We pray, Father, your will be done. Father, your will be done in the life of my spouse. Father, your will be done in the life of my children. Father, your life, your will be done in the life of my friends. Father, your will be done in the life of my enemies. We surrender control to the only one who deserves to be in control and the only one who is worthy of being in control. We surrender control to the one who is firmly seated on the throne and the one who can make all things work together for the good of those who love him. We surrender control. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is we surrender. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life, but I wonder today if maybe you're here, and there might be somebody in your life trying to control you to really draw you away from what you know God wants you to do. Could be a boyfriend, could be a girlfriend, could be anybody. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I just know there are people here who are in that situation. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that you'll help these individuals 
who know they're trying to be controlled by others. To clearly understand what it is that you want them to do. And help them, Father, to surrender to you. To recognize that you are the only one who's supposed to direct their path. Again, we're continuing to pray, but I wonder today, maybe you're here and you recognize that you're one of those people who tries to control others. And you'd say, hey, you know what? I need to, I need to stop doing that right now. I need to really put people in God's hand. It's not that I don't want to tell people about Jesus. It's not that I don't want to tell them about good things. But Father, when I try to guilt people and when I try to threaten people, that's not good. I know that's not your will. So Father, I pray that you would forgive me. Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know there's people in here who that's how you've been living your life. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for those in this room who really do, just like me sometimes, have a great plan for other people's lives. Father, help us to realize that sometimes our plan for other people's lives is not your plan. As parents especially, Father, we try to push our kids in a lot of different areas. And a lot of times, Father, we push them to the very thing that's going to draw them away from you. So forgive us for that. Help us to commit our kids to you. Help us to commit the people in our life to you. Because again, you're the only one worthy of being in control. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But I wonder today if you walked in this room and you've made a mess of your life. You don't know Jesus as your personal savior. You've been trying to control it yourself, but you'd say today you wanna to surrender control because again, he's the only one worthy of being in control. He's the one who can turn the mess of your life into an unbelievable message. And if you wanna surrender control to him, if you wanna be made brand new, it can happen right now. And if that's you, I'm going to ask it right where you are. You pray this prayer. Father, today, I surrender to you. Come into my heart. Make me into a new person. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. And I thank you for saving me. May other people know that I'm yours because my life is different. Help me to take up my cross follow you daily. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder today, if you prayed to receive Jesus, if you prayed to surrender control of your life to him, if you just do me a favor, right where you are, would you just lift your hand so I can know the Holy Spirit's moving? Amen. 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 <laughs> Father, I thank you for these who have recognized that they want to surrender control to you. And I pray, Father, that that prayer that they prayed wouldn't just be something that they've said here in church, Father, but I pray that it would be something real in their heart and real in their life. I pray that they would tell somebody, hey, today I surrender to Jesus. Help them to make it real. Help others come alongside them. Encourage them. 
as they walk with Christ. Father, it's so rewarding to know that you're in charge. And so I just pray that you would bless these who surrender to you today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your message. We pray in Christ's name.